The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to welcome a colleague who I have known for decades for her work in the area of sports nutrition. Nancy Clark is a registered dietitian and internationally respected sports nutritionist. She's a health coach. She's an author, workshop leader. She specializes in nutrition for exercise, weight control, and the nutritional management of eating disorders. She is board certified in sports dietetics. She is a certified well coach. She has worked with the members of the Boston Red Sox, the Boston Celtics, the Boston Breakers. She has worked with athletes who are both casual, collegiate, elite, and Olympic. She is also well known internationally for her writing and not only her books, but she's been a columnist for New England Runner, Rowing, and American Fitness. She's a frequent contributor to Runner's World and has been on the advisory board for Shape Magazine. And her website, I'll give it again at the end, but just so everyone knows, it's www.nancyclarkrd.com. I saw Nancy at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics annual meeting in Atlanta this fall with her brand new fifth edition of Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. It is the number one nutrition resource for active people. I recommend it all the time, and I can't wait to talk with you, Nancy. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me to be on your show. Well, I've always recommended your book to all kinds of athletes, starting with my own children and then in groups and workshops that I've done. I've always felt that your work was the best researched, and I highly respect it. So I think we should just jump right in and talk about some of the most common issues that you probably have faced in your 34 years in this profession. They probably persist. And the one that jumps first in my mind is always the question about protein, right? Do athletes need more or less protein depending on their sports? Should they be taking all these protein bulking supplements? What do you tell them? (laughs) That is a hot topic. And part of the reason why there's so much confusion is that the industry that's making protein powders and protein shakes and protein bars is doing a lot of advertising with the message, oh, if you eat more protein, you'll build more muscle. And in truth, exercise builds muscle. And extra protein really does not, if you have a big steak for dinner, you don't wake up with bigger muscles in the morning. You need to lift heavy weight. In order to have the energy to lift weight, you need to eat some sort of grain, fruit, vegetables, carbohydrate food. So I always look at protein, carb balance and to know that you want the both of them together and not just focusing on protein. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the issue of whether or not we're going to eat before or after a bout of exercise and how much to eat. And of course, I'm sure that depends on the exercise itself. But if a person says to you, you know, I like to get up in the morning, go for a run, do you recommend that they eat something before they go for their run or their brisk walk or wait till they get back? It depends. If a person has had a big dinner the night before, 
And if they wake up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, that big dinner will probably fuel their run. But if they've just eaten lightly at, you know, 5 or 6 in the evening, and then they haven't eaten anything until for 12 hours when they wake up, they'll probably discover that they have a better run if they have a banana or a English muffin or a little bowl of oatmeal, a little bit of something, 100, 200, 300 calories of something before they go and they exercise. Mm -hmm. So in our culture, a lot of people do a lot of eating at the end of the day. And so they may not be hungry in the morning. But for the people who are eating correctly, which means being as nice to your body as you are to your car, you have a car, you put gas in it, it goes. You have a body, you put food in it, it goes better. I highly recommend fueling up before they go to do their workout, and then again, refueling afterwards, Mm -hmm. and doing more of their eating during the active part of the day, which is when you really need the gas in the car. Right. And I'm sure you are fully aware and still talking about the act of carbohydrate loading. I don't hear that so much in the circles that I run with, but are people still interested in doing that, and what is it, and is it helpful? Carbo-loading is important for people that are doing endurance exercise. Carbohydrates, in that word carbohydrate bothers me because it's too big. It's mm-hmm. fruit, vegetables, whole grains are quality carbohydrates that fuel your muscles. And when you're lifting weight or doing a track workout or doing hard exercise, you rely on the carbohydrates that are stored in your muscles. It's called muscle glycogen. And when you deplete that, that's when you hit the wall. That's when you feel exhausted. If you're running a marathon for, you know, three, four hours, you rely on carbohydrates to give you the energy. So that I'm finding that many of my clients get stuck because they think carbs are fattening. And what they don't understand is that excess calories are fattening, but carbohydrates actually get preferentially burned off so that the conversion of carbohydrate into body fat is actually a tough conversion. So I do recommend every meal be based on carbohydrates, be it cereal for breakfast, whole wheat bread on the sandwich for lunch, bananas for snack from brown rice or sweet potato with dinner because those are the foods that do a good job of fueling your muscles. And when people eat just protein, just the egg white omelet and just the chicken Caesar salad or just the chicken and veggies for dinner, oftentimes they feel really tired when they exercise because their muscles are poorly fueled. Their muscles just aren't getting the, the enough carbohydrates to replace those glycogen stores. These different kinds of eating patterns, seems to me that the heavy weightlifters are the ones that are really shunning more of the carbohydrates and the long term or the, you know, the distance runners, they get it with regard to carbohydrate. They know they need it. But I find that it's the muscle builders that are the most susceptible to the low carb, high protein diets. And interestingly, you know, you brought up, but we need carbohydrate to build the muscle. And I specifically recall a conference, gosh, Nancy, this was probably two decades ago at least, 
where you showed a picture of someone who had built these beautiful muscles using fruit juice. I mean, that was his source of carbohydrate. So how do you negotiate this with bodybuilders? You know, this, as you say, the advertising is so prolific about not only taking these supplemental protein powders, but avoiding carbohydrates for people who want to lift and build big muscles. Well, I have them experiment. And the nice thing about food is that when you eat a better sports diet, you perform better. So I was talking to this one person who was really into building muscle, losing fat, and living on a lot of eggs and tuna fish and chicken breast, but, you know, no bread, no bagels, no potato, no carbs. And I had an experiment with how his workouts felt after he had, say, oatmeal for breakfast and and a sandwich for lunch or baked potatoes or sweet potatoes or having more fruits, vegetables, and grains along with protein. I always look at protein-carb combinations, eggs and toast, bread and peanut butter, spaghetti and meatballs. So you, you want carb-protein combinations. And he found that when he added more grains to his diet and more fruits and veggies, his workouts were a lot better. He just didn't feel so dead because his muscles had the fuel that it needed to lift the heavy weights. So it's it becomes very clear if people that are staying away from carbs thinking that they're fattening, which I said is not true, it's excess calories at the end of the day that are fattening, that his workouts were better, he lifted better, and he got the look that he wanted by having more of a balance in his diet. That's a great approach. Well, you know, it's funny. When we were younger, the big high-protein diet of great popularity was the Atkins diet, and now I see us looking more at the paleo diet. Every time you turn around, right, somebody's following this new diet. And I love your fifth edition because you include a discussion about some of these fad diets that seem to, you know, they come and go, they resurface over the years. What do you tell people who are looking at the paleo diet? Well, the... Paleo diet is very restrictive, and my philosophy is is that, you know, each person's body is different, and each person's mind is different, but the question is, do you really never want to eat a sandwich again? Do you really never want to have a piece of birthday cake again? Do you really never want to have pasta again? I mean, and it's a a diet that's really unsustainable, Mm -hmm. so... I always remind my clients that they should never start a food program that they don't want to maintain for the rest of their life. So if they're going on the paleo diet, that means that if they want to have some pasta, they have to go off the diet. And then the mind takes over and goes, oh, I just had some pasta. Well, you know, last chance to eat because Monday I'm back on the paleo again. And then they do a heck of a lot of binge eating Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, because on Monday the diet starts again. Right. So it's just on a diet, off a diet process that is really bad for people's mind as well as for their body. Um, So just think twice before you go on a food plan that you really don't want to maintain for the rest of your life. And that's where working with a registered dietitian is a really good idea. That person can help you reach your goals and maintain your sanity. 
Well, I really like the way you described, you know, is this sustainable? Is this something I can do for the long run? Because that really does rule out a lot of these crazy diets. We see this repeatedly every time there's a new magical potion or diet on the market. Well, getting back to some of the issues that are specific to athletes, things that people ask me about, and I always refer them to Nancy Clark Sports Nutrition Guidebook, one of the things has to do with cramping. When people experience cramps, either when they're exercising, even if it's just you know a simple brisk walk around the block, some people say I have trouble with cramps, what causes cramps and how can they be alleviated? Generally, muscle cramps are associated with fatigue. So with athletes who cramp, I look at when do you cramp, and usually it's toward the end of a game or toward the end of a workout session when their muscles are tired. And are they cramping because they're dehydrated? Are they cramping because they lost a lot of salt in their sweat? It's really hard. There are different kinds of muscle cramps. And one kind can be due to dehydration and maybe a lack of sodium salt. And another kind is just due to fatigue and the muscles just get tired and they hyperactive and they just cramp up. So... Lots of times stretching and a better diet so that the, the muscles don't get as fatigued because they're better fueled can make a difference. But the first thing that I always do is just look at when are you cramping and are, are you well hydrated? I look at, there. I had one client who ate a very healthy diet and it was a very low sodium diet because if you aren't eating any processed foods or aren't eating in restaurants and if you're just living on, you know, a lot of fruits and vegetables and oatmeal and unprocessed foods, it's easy to get a very low-sodium diet. And this person was was sweat a lot. And, and so when she added more a little bit of salt into her diet, she felt better and she performed better and the cramps went away. So um, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. But certainly everybody can drink enough fluid. Right. And people can stretch and also, you know, exercise reasonably so that they don't get exhausted. Yeah, that's great advice. And listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Nancy Clark. She is an internationally respected sports nutritionist. She's a registered dietitian, author of multiple books, and she is the author of the very latest edition, the fifth edition of Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. It is the number one nutrition resource for active people. I have been recommending it for decades. We were talking before the show, and I said my earlier edition was a lot thinner. This one is jam-packed. So for any listeners who are thinking about getting into an exercise program and really wanting to look at how they're fueling their fitness, I can't think of a better resource. So, Nancy, let's move on to hydration because I think that we touched on it with cramping, But I think when we talk to a lot of students, at least it's been my experience that water or simply staying well hydrated, and when I say well hydrated, that doesn't mean drinking soda, I find that hydration is something that is not spoken enough about in terms of its importance related to fatigue and performance. Oh, that's so true. It's interesting because there is a a sports dietitian that's working at one of the universities here in New England. She had her athletes do an experiment with drinking twice the amount of water that they normally do. And she said that she was amazed how much better they reported feeling. And she said it was just really interesting how many people had more energy, felt better, fewer headaches, and just felt more alive. 
So in general, I have my clients monitor how often they have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And if they wake up in the morning and they pee, and then if they don't have to urinate until three or four in the afternoon, and their urine is very dark and concentrated, you know, that's a bad sign. So I tell them that they should be urinating every two to four hours. The urine should be a light color, significant volume. And if that's the pattern that they're on, then they're probably drinking enough. Some people think they have to drink just water. And actually, I look at fluid intake. So watermelon has a lot of water in it. Oranges have a lot of water in them. A head of lettuce is 90% water. Yogurt counts as fluid. Coffee and tea also count. At one time, they were thought to be dehydrating. So fluids of all types count. But I think we don't want to underestimate the value of just plain old water. And a lot of people just don't drink enough fluids in general. Mm -hmm. That leads me to the sports drinks that so many younger athletes, I think in particular, use somehow Gatorade and Powerade and all of these hyped up, highly advertised fluid replacement drinks are heavily marketed to kids. And I think that there's a reluctance to choose anything that isn't popular or advertised heavily just in terms of being popular with their friends. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of these sports beverages on the market. Who are they ideally suited for? And how do you talk to young athletes about them? Sports drinks are really designed to be taken during endurance exercise. So, for example, if you're a marathon runner, if you're out there for more than an hour and a half, two hours, then a sports drink gives you water to replace the water that you lose in sweat. It gives you a little bit of energy so that you can feed, that feeds your brain so you can keep going forward with your running. And it gives you a little bit of salt. And the salt is designed to enhance fluid retention. If you drink plain water, it goes in one end and out the other. But if you have a little bit of salt in the water, then it stays in the body. So again, they're designed to be taken during extended exercise. Do kids need Gatorade in their lunchbox? No way. Do they need it after they exercise? You know, that's a much better time for some chocolate milk. Right. Their muscles want carbs to refuel, protein to build and repair. You know, a sports drink is just sugar water with a splash of sodium in it. And while there's a time and a place for it, most people misuse it. So I am an advocate of kids drinking more water if they have a pre-exercise snack and then water during the event, and then afterwards, if they've exercised really hard, then chocolate milk would be a good idea. But a sports drink, like I say, I'd I'd keep that for the endurance athletes or the people that are exercising for more than an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that you've got a chapter here that looks at fluids, and you've got a table that this is specifically for breakfast, and you've got a table with different kinds of beverages and how many calories they have. And if people only knew how many calories they might be consuming with fluid alone, and this is especially for those athletes that are trying to be a little bit more physically active to lose weight. I mean, I couldn't believe this, Nancy. An Oreo coffee culotta with cream has 970 calories. Whoa. (laughs) 
that's the equivalent of a half a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and people go, oh, four pieces of pizza, that's a lot of pizza. Well, you can just drink it in these, they're, they're calorie cafes, a lot of these coffee shops these days. Exactly. And they might be, might be yummy, but they certainly sneak in a lot of, not only are they excess calories, but generally they're nutritionally empty calories. Exactly. Well, we should talk about caffeine because since we're in this chapter looking at beverages and things we do in the morning, and you touched on this briefly about how caffeine had been considered dehydrating, and I still hear that. I still hear that, you know, in circles of of athletes who say, well, I don't want to have anything with caffeine in it because I'm afraid it might dehydrate me, when actually what I remember reading, and please give me the update, is that caffeine really does enhance performance to a certain point, and then people start having maybe problems with diarrhea or stomach upset and then needing to go to the bathroom. What is the latest on caffeine? There have been many, many studies on caffeine showing that it is indeed an ergogenic aid. It's an energy enhancer. Now, do I recommend caffeine to high school kids? No, I recommend that they eat a good breakfast, lunch, have a pre-exercise snack. But we know before a marathon or before, if you're doing a lot of exercise, a hard, intense workout, Caffeine can make the effort seem easier. It just has an effect on the central nervous system that you can work harder without perceiving it. So the the combination of a little bit of caffeine and a little bit of good nutrition, a pre-exercise snack, so you have some graham crackers, a little bit of peanut butter, and a latte, like, wow, you're fueled. And will enjoy your workout more and maybe be able to work out harder without perceiving the effort. So... I'm more concerned about caffeine abuse than I am caffeine. Caffeine abuse is when you're exhausted, you really need to go to bed, but you're keeping yourself awake to do your homework or do some more studying and drinking coffee when you really need sleep. But for an athlete who's well-rested, like say a good pre-exercise snack and a cup of coffee can make a big difference. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear you say that. I am concerned about sleep. You know, I think that sometimes, especially if we're talking about high school athletes, they've got homework, they've got practice, they are probably teetering with a little bit of dehydration. But equal to the dehydration, I think, is the sleep factor that we don't speak enough about that either, do you think? No. In our society, sleep is just sort of deemed optional. Yeah. And everyone's so busy and sleep is just like, oh, it, it just isn't, there's not enough focus put on how important it is. It's very regulating, it's uh, rejuvenating, and it can really, we, we know that athletes that sleep better perform better. And so to not stay up that extra hour watching TV, instead choosing to go to bed and get an extra hour's sleep can be a great way to improve your performance. And also, we know that when people are tired, they tend to snack more on junk food. Mm-hmm. And so that there's an interesting study that I read where people, the deal was that they went to bed like an hour, hour and a half earlier, and they monitored their eating, and their cravings for junk food dropped by two-thirds. Wow. And so that it just really helped them clean up their diet. Yeah. But I know that if you're tired and stressed, it's like, where's the cookies? Where's the chips? People look for comfort food. So if you get a good night's sleep, then you say, hmm, 
where's the chicken and rice and broccoli? <laughs> and um, maybe I have the energy to cook it up, too, so that it makes a big difference in the quality of a person's diet. Well, I think throughout our careers, we've largely been asked often about supplements. I remember going through a phase where everybody wanted to take creatine. Of course, there's the protein powders we talked about earlier. So there's always something on the market that has a promise for better performance. And I wonder how you feel about sports supplements and how you talk to athletes about their value or not. Sports supplements is a huge growing business. People are making a lot of money on sports supplements. And the first focus is to look at a person's diet. I mean, I was talking to this high school kid. Well, what about this supplement and that supplement? I said, well, what about breakfast and lunch? You're sleeping through breakfast, you know, barely eat lunch, and was looking for something so he'd have more energy and perform better in the afternoon. It's like no supplement is going to compensate for a lousy sports diet. So he was looking outside of food. So I always bring my clients in first. Let's optimize your diet. Let's optimize your breakfast, your lunch, your pre-exercise snack, your recovery food. And once that's optimized, they might discover they don't need a supplement for more energy or need that special bar to that supposedly builds up muscle. They're able to build muscle the right way too. Mm-hmm. And many of the supplements, they're poorly regulated, so you aren't really certain what's in them. So... They're expensive, they're unregulated, and we know that food works. So that's the focus that I tend to take. Yeah. I suspect that there's a placebo effect going on as well, and I also read a review that showed that some of them have stimulants in them. So the athlete consumes them and thinks, yeah, I feel a lot more energetic now, but it's not really anything more than the equivalent of perhaps some additional caffeine or some other stimulating ingredient. Precisely, precisely, yeah. The mind is very powerful. Yeah. When people think that something believes is helping them, then, you know, just the the power of the mind can make that happen. Mm -hmm. But I'd say breakfast, lunch are pretty powerful, too. In in my sports nutrition guidebook, I have, you know, a lot of sections on how do you manage to get more breakfast and lunch in our crazy lifestyle. Yeah, I really recommend this book for any kind of athlete, be it a casual athlete that just wants to get in shape, as well as an Olympic athlete. It's really a rich source of all that we've talked about and more. We just have a minute left. Is there anything that perhaps you'd like to pull out of this new edition that is new or updated from previous editions or something that you want our listeners to take away? Well, I think that the the bottom line message is that food is fuel. It's not this fattening enemy. And and so many people that exercise, exercise to lose weight, and they try not to eat because they're trying to burn off calories. But the truth is you want to eat. You want to eat the right foods at the right time and to be as nice to your body as you are to your car. You have a car, you put gas in it, it goes. You have a body, you put food in it, it goes better. And my car always runs out of gas when I have no time to deal with it. But do I always find time to put gas in my car? Yes. And similarly, people can find time to put gas in their body if they make it a priority. And you start feeling better, you feel better, and you'll always win with good nutrition. 
Well, Nancy, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. We've been speaking with Nancy Clark. She's an internationally respected sports nutritionist, and she is the author of the Nancy Clark Sports Nutrition Guidebook. I have the fifth edition here in my hand. It is the number one nutrition resource for active people, whether you're a casual athlete or an Olympic athlete. And in closing, I want to thank, of course, Nancy for being my guest. I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri, and the website is simply www.nancyclarkrd.com. Thanks again, Nancy.